This episode of Everything About Hydrogen is brought to you by Biotech Onsite Hydrogen. It's official. The hydrogen economy is here. The global transition to clean energy is gathering momentum, and it's clear that hydrogen will play a critical role. Biotech offers modular, scalable, and rapidly deployable hydrogen production systems through sales, rentals, leases, and gas as a service to customers worldwide. If you're interested to learn more, visit biotech.us to find out how Biotech can help you produce low-cost, low, or zero-carbon hydrogen today. From the Hydrogen Media offices in Washington, D.C., this is Everything About Hydrogen. I'm Andrew Leadham, General Counsel at Biotech, and joining me from a few blocks down the road here in Washington is Patrick Malloy, Senior Associate in the Breakthrough Technologies Group at the Rocky Mountain Institute, and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum, who is calling in from London. On today's episode of Everything About Hydrogen, we have the pleasure of speaking with two members of the team over at AP Ventures. AP has been investing in the companies at the heart of innovation in the hydrogen value chain since the firm was founded in London in 2014. And we are excited to have Kevin Eggers, a founding partner at AP, and Michelle Robeson, an associate on the firm's investment team with us on the show. But before we get into it, we'd just like to remind everyone that if you have any questions for us here at Everything About Hydrogen, please shoot us an email at info at h2podcast.com or give us a shout on Twitter at, at About Hydrogen. Last but certainly not least, the Hydrogen Media team is excited to announce that we are launching a new series of collaborative podcast episodes we are calling EAH Deep Dive. Deep Dive episodes are created and produced in collaboration with leaders in the hydrogen industry and are specifically focused on some of the most exciting innovations and announcements in the sector today. Our first episode is being developed with the team from Enaptor and will be published here in the EAH podcast feed just a couple of weeks from today. We will be providing more information in the coming days and cannot wait to get the Deep Dive series live for our listeners, so stay tuned. All right, let's get this episode started. Hey, uh, before uh, Kevin and Michelle sign in, guys, what's uh, what's been going on in your world? How you doing, Chris? Yeah, no, good, thank you. Um, you know, it's all, all a little bit strange. I mean, we're we're slowly having one or two people coming back into the office, you know, which is definitely a bit of a change of of scene. Um, I think having done everything virtually, and of course, we're now getting used to Teams and Zooms calls where you've actually got other people in the background, so you've got to explain that to people. But, uh, but you guys in the States, it sounds like, uh, you know, the whole COVID vaccine thing has just been unbelievable. People, you know, I'm, I'm amazed by how many people have been covered. I mean, is everyone kind of, is there kind of like impending sense that normality is, is, a, is months away uh i think it's a case-by-case basis and uh you know people are a little bit hesitant to get too optimistic about it but i think uh things are looking up i've got my uh my vaccination appointment this uh this coming thursday guys so that's absolutely crazy there you go i thought patrick was older than you were after yeah i don't think so i don't don't think so after (laughs) thanks thanks though chris it's it's nice to know the year has been rough you know andrew looks so youthful whereas patrick's got this sort of disgusting disgrace for a beard that he's been sort of you know working on jealousy will get you nowhere mr jackson i I, I just learned how to shave patrick you've got too used to having your video screen on work on the call lean lean in lean into that camera and we'll put that one to the test All right, guys. Beyond uh, giving each other uh, crap for not looking our ages, who do we uh, who do we have coming on the show today? Patrick, you want to give us a quick rundown on that front? 
Sure. Um, so we're speaking with AP Ventures, who have been a kind of a, a leading light, I think, in, in some of the, the hydrogen spaces over the last little while. Obviously, a, uh, a historic link to uh, to someone that we talked about a, a little while ago in, in, in terms of uh, Anglo-American but um, they 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 are a a venture entity that's focused on on investing in kind of emerging and new technologies. Particularly, I, I think it's worth saying seems to you know kind of focus on the the challenges around climate and energy and stuff like that. So, going to be an interesting one. But yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they are engaging with the kind of the the hydrogen value chain now, where they're making their investments and where strategically they're going to be uh, looking to take uh, take the next steps as the, the market starts to mature. I, I feel like uh, I feel like Chris, you can tell us some some more stories of engaging with funds and whatnot, but maybe maybe it might be useful how they compare to to some of the other funds that that, that are out there in the space. So um, so we touched a little bit on um, various things to do with AP Ventures actually on our episode with Anglo-American, with Jan Clarita. So we, we, we kind of touched on it, or I kind of touched on them a little bit before. Um, yeah, and one of the things I was saying was quite unusual is that it kind of, uh, AP has its heritage as a corporate venture fund that then became a, a sort of more widely accessible uh, fund. So it still is predominantly corporate backed. Most of the money is still coming from various corporates in the space, but with some institutional. So I think that's probably where it's a little bit different is that, you know, when people sometimes talk about investments in this space, they kind of say, have you got a corporate investor? Do you have a venture investor? You know, this is kind of um, a little bit unique in that sense in that they kind of provide multiple different tiers of support, some which sit in the traditional sort of venture type structures and some which sits outside of the traditional venture structures. So all of that is quite interesting and I'm sure they'll get into it a little bit more on the call um, and kind of how that works. It, it, it remains to be seen whether that's a model for more, but um, I think probably enough for me. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> no offense, Chris, I've got them both sitting in the Zoom waiting room. So I'm just going to suggest that we, uh, we let Kevin and Michelle uh, speak for themselves and uh, we'll go from there, right guys? Well, Kevin, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you guys making the time. And uh, I don't know who wants to start first, but uh, if you guys could give a little bit of a background and intro of yourself and a little bit about AP Ventures, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, sure. So why don't I uh, kick off, um, Andrew? Um, so my name is Kevin Eggers, and I'm one of the two founders of AP Ventures. Um, AP Ventures is a dedicated hydrogen venture capital fund, which we formed um, almost three years ago. Um, although we've actually been investing in this space for better part of eight years, having previously um, operated as a corporate venture capital fund. Michelle, would you like to provide a bit of background about yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi. Thanks very much for, for having me on today. Um, so I'm Michelle Robson. I'm an associate with AP Ventures. I've uh, been with the fund for coming up to two and a half years now. Um, and in my time, I've done a number of um, investments in the hydrogen space, specifically concentrating on the midstream Um and uh, yeah, really happy to talk about hydrogen. Wonderful. Well, let's uh, let's jump right in then. Maybe uh, Kevin, we'll start with you then. What is uh, what is AP Ventures? Uh, what's the mandate of the fund? Yeah, so we focused on investing across the hydrogen value chain. So that includes you know, hydrogen generation, transportation, storage, compression, 
and then obviously the many end uses for hydrogen. So very much off focus right away across that value chain. But we are a venture capital fund. So we're looking for you know, technologies that move the needle, that help to unlock um, you know, critical areas within that value chain uh, where technology can play a role. So we're not an infrastructure fund. We're not looking at, at project financing. We're very much looking at the, at the technology end. We're comfortable with technology risk. It's a space where we've been investing for, for quite some time. And that's very much you know, our focus. So we're looking for typically you know, IP-rich, novel startup companies, big ideas, um, highly motivated teams. Investing in people is, is absolutely critical um, that, 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 are, that are ambitious and, and want to make a dent in, in this hydrogen space. And that, I'd say, you know, covers our, our mandate fa- fairly clearly. When, when thinking of that, that mandate and then going out to the market, like how, how do you describe the fund? How do you, you know, is it the, the classic kind of venture entity? Is it corporate venture? You know, how does the, um, how, do, how do you engage the world? And maybe how has that changed a little bit over, over the last number of years as you've been growing? So, uh, yeah, I mentioned briefly in the introduction that we actually ran this program as a, as a corporate venture capital fund. So it's actually within um, Anglo-American, which is one of our um, present LPs and ran that as a, as a corporate venture capital fund for five years. But I say in the last three years, I like to describe ourselves as a, as a classic venture capital fund. We, we do have some identifying features that probably ensure that we are differentiated. Maybe I'll pick up on, on some of that. But for, for, for the most part, we are structured, um, as you would expect from any, any ordinary independent private equity or venture capital fund. We are motivated to achieve you know, capital gains, capital profits, through our, um, through our carried interest participation. Uh, we have co-investment obligations in, in, into the assets that we invest in. So it also you know, makes, it causes us to have a very real focus on a financial return. And I like that. You know, within the strategic um, sort of setting, and if you want to call it that, that strategic mandate we have, we are fixated on financial returns. And I believe that that you know, Darwinian selection process is critical to finding the best companies and, and helping them grow. Um, I think you know, it's been proven time and again that just supporting entities from some broader kind of corporate you know, mantra or, or, or um, you know, desire to help build and grow companies is, is, is one way to, to, to fail. Um, these companies have to stand on their own two feet and they have to be you know, profit-driven. From our, from our fund's perspective, though, we do have a few unique features. You know, one is we are slightly longer dated. I spoke about our interest in technology and there's a recognition that you know, some of the funds, perhaps through the um, 20 zeros and, 20, and 2010 sort of era, we saw a number of those funds that were probably a bit short dated for, for, for the kind of high, high tech that we're investing in. And that means we've got our fund structured as a 12-year fund with some extensions possible beyond that. And that was one defining feature. The other one is the way in which we work with our LPs. So I think there are a number of funds out there who have a number of strategic LPs, but we very much are plugged in to their hydrogen strategies. In many instances, we're helping them form their hydrogen strategies. So I'd say the relationship we have with our LPs is also um, unique and, and sets us aside perhaps from other classic you know, VCs, if you, want to, if you want to call them that. And, and part of that is, is the way we can ingratiate ourselves into their operations and workings. But also we have a secondee program, which means that at any point in time, you know, the majority of our LPs have staff seconded to AP Ventures. And that allows us to stay in touch and uh, provides us with a deep understanding yeah, of, our, of our LPs. So we differentiated from how we work with the LPs. We perhaps also differentiated by the fact that we have been in this particular subsector or the sector, the hydrogen sector, for, for a long time. 
uh, you know, eight years now. But in terms of our structure, we're very much looking for, for, for financial gain um, in, in all of our investments. And that's an important part of our, our appraisal. The danger is that obviously we're all in the hydrogen world, but some of our listeners are not. So maybe kind of idiot's guide step back. How much money are you managing? Is it all one bucket or two? Who are your LPs and where actually are your offices? You know, just, you know, as quick as you want, but just, just a little bit of, you know, I guess that additional kind of, yeah, forgive me, idiot's guide or like 101 AP Ventures background. Yeah, Chris yeah, Jackson yeah. guide. Chris, that's a, it's a good question to ask. Um, so we are... Uh, London-based, so we um, sort of onshore um, FCA-regulated fund, so very much sort of um, ordinary structure uh, in the UK, so set up set up in London. Um, although you know, COVID has meant that people are sort of starting to sort of work further and further away from our uh, from our office location, but we do still have an office um, uh, in Bond Street, uh, Old Bond Street, in, in London, and that is very much still our still our home. Although you know, no one's been there for a year or, or, or more now. Um, we manage two separate funds. Uh, we, we have a, a fund one, uh, which is relatively modest. It's about $80 million. And that it was used to buy um, six of the original assets, six of the original portfolio companies that we had built up um, while still running this as a corporate venture program. And we did that at launch, so three years ago. And um, that vehicle is no longer investing in any new opportunities. So we are, we are, we are solely divesting um, we have some money still earmarked for follow-on, but we're largely in the divestment process there. And then um, that is uh, that has two investors, um, Anglo-American and the Public Investment Corporation. And then we have a fund two, uh, which is presently $266 million. And there we have 11 different investors, uh, four of whom will be named later this week uh, as we announce our final, our final closing. So, you know, watch out for some news um, in, in, the, in the coming days. So very excited to bring in four more investors, but we have seven investors in fund two at the moment, including the investors from fund, um, fund one. In that uh, fund, we have 11 uh, portfolio companies, um, and we'd look to probably double that to, to get a total uh, portfolio size of about, you know, say, 20, uh, 20 portfolio companies, uh, bearing in mind that you know, the, the way we invest is, is incrementally over time. So around fundraising rounds of, of, of equity raises. So, so we still have a lot of our money preserved for the follow-on uh, capital needs, particularly of our more successful companies. So you know, hopefully that gives you a little snapshot of where we are, what we've deployed, and, and, um, uh, and you know, how, we, how we are structured. Well, I think you almost set me up quite nicely for my question for Michelle. So, you know, uh, you know, if you're doing, as it were, new investors, expanding the portfolio, clearly you must think there's more opportunities out there. So what sector of the hydrogen space do you think hasn't been picked over yet? You know, where do you see the opportunities in the broader hydrogen uh, ecosystem for AP Ventures? I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? It is such a relatively new um, area of interest, I suppose, for investors. Although, as Kevin says, you know, we've been focused on this space for quite a while. I think um, we've seen a lot of investment going into hydrogen production, um, and, and that's absolutely right. We're going to need large volumes of, of low-cost green and blue hydrogen. For us, what we think is perhaps maybe over, overlooked by the market at the moment is um, the midstream, so the ability to connect these sources of supply with demand centres and getting the hydrogen from the areas of, you know, so from your renewable energy-rich um, continents or geographies uh, to the demand centres, the industrial areas of, of Europe, Northern America, Asia and the like. So we're really interested in storage and distribution 
um, that that unlock or enable the opportunity to dislocate production and use um, and transform renewable power into a commodity. So specifically, we're thinking about transport and delivery in two different ways. Firstly, how can we enable low-cost, efficient, safe storage of bulk hydrogen? And so, as you know, hydrogen is a really challenging gas to store and transport. So it's not mostly produced close to where it's used. So future hydrogen market promises great opportunity for green hydrogen to be produced at low cost in those areas that have abundant renewable energy, but are quite distant in both time and geography from the demand markets. So we're looking for technologies or business models which enable that safe, low-cost storage and transportation. Secondly, we're also looking for technologies that leverage the use of existing infrastructure. So we're thinking that this makes sense from an economic point of view. It avoids significant capex investment, but also from an environmental perspective because it avoids the need for new infrastructure to be created. So we've looked for those technologies and business models which leverage the already significant infrastructure and investment that we have in, say, shipping and port and rails for fossil fuels and other commodities. Um, I can give some examples of those. So um, in our current portfolio, we've got, for instance, Hydrogenius, which transport hydrogen in an organic liquid carrier similar to today's oils. And so you can leverage the global oil supply chain for that as a carrier of hydrogen. Um, then we have an investment in Starfire, which is a green ammonia technology. And so you can transport um, hydrogen via ammonia as a carrier, which also has an existing commodity supply chain. You can also look at alternatives such as synthetic fuels. So where you're creating a fuel out of a green hydrogen captured carbon dioxide. Um, and you can, again, use existing, not just supply chains, but also all the powertrains um, from, from using that as, a, as your fuel source. Um, or alternatively, there could be other applications, for instance, Hyatt, which is an electrochemical uh, extraction and purification compression technology, which enables you to transport hydrogen using existing gas pipelines. So we think though that the opportunities in that space are particularly compelling, uh, and we're actively looking for more of those. I was going to say just before quickly, I know Andrew, I'm jumping through a bit, a little bit, but I just asked the question, Michelle. I mean, you know, you've illustrated some brilliant portfolio companies that are already doing that. Um, you know, it sounds silly to say, but there aren't that many other ways of doing, you know, yes, there's existing infrastructure, there's ammonia. So it, how do you add the portfolio without adding portfolio companies that are actually in some senses competitive then? You know, can you add another green ammonia company? Can you add another liquid organic? Or at some point, do those portfolio companies start actually tripping over each other in some ways? I mean, we are, it's a good question. And it's one that obviously we debate backwards and forwards. We are a venture capital fund. So we are uh, also need to manage our risk. And so we may find that we want to take, um, we want to take investments or I hesitate to use the word bets because it's very much not a bet. You know, you're hoping this is a very educated decision that you're making, but across, you know, alternative um, opportunities. We might not choose to make another um, green ammonia investment, but what we might do is, is there a part of the supply chain that we could invest in that then enables that? So, for instance, um, are there some components to that supply chain that you might invest in? Or alternatively, if you think downstream, are there some aggregators that we might be able to invest in that have a really interesting business model that are going to bring together a number of technologies within that midstream operation? Um, and that can also be a really compelling um, uh, um, investment case for us as well. And so taking that on to sort of the next step, which is uh, maybe looking at it a little bit more broadly, but, you know, 
where do you guys see the most exciting markets for new hydrogen and fuel cell technologies that can be regionally, that could be you know, geographically, however you guys want to take that question on and fill that question out. Um, that would be, uh, I think, very interesting for our listeners to hear. Sure. I mean, I, I can start, but Kevin, I'm sure I can add to it as well. I mean, so I think when we started out with the hydrogen, or certainly when, when people generally tend to think about hydrogen, they tend to think about mobility. Um, and absolutely, there is opportunity in mobility, but we think it also extends beyond there. So in the mobility space, we're thinking about things like heavy-duty vehicles, trucks, buses, trains and ships and the like but also other hard-to-abate segments such as aviation, where we think hydrogen could be really a potentially very, very exciting um, technology or, or fuel for, for that industry. That's a longer term, further down the track, but then in, in the near term, you can have synthetic fuels, like I mentioned previously, so using that the green hydrogen that captures CO2 to make a, a, synthetic, um, a synthetic fuel for your aviation industry. Um, the marine segment is also, I think, of great interest, although, again, in the nearer term, it may well be fuels such as ammonia that can be combusted that are used. Uh, and then longer term, you're going to see the hydrogen or at least um, the fuel cells um, coming into play there. I think another near term application that has historically been overlooked, but we're starting to see a better understanding of now is in the industrial applications. So where decarbonisation is quite difficult to achieve through direct electrification, but hydrogen enables you to decarbonize. So thinking through steel making, cement production, fertilizers, ammonia, other chemicals, that is, I think, a really interesting nearer term opportunity. And we're starting to see more and more interest in that space. Maybe just add to that. I think the um, you know, the point is that certain regions and regions and certain sectors are going to advance a bit more quickly than others. And that's going to be driven by you know, local legislation, um, no doubt. Um, yeah, I think you're seeing a lot of positive momentum in, in Europe, um, I think, which is going to pull some of that technology forward. And then it's going to pull the most appropriate technology forward based on, on the availability of those of various resources in, in, in a place like Europe. So I think you're naturally going to see sort of movement happening at different, different speeds in, in, in different parts of the world. And I'd contrast somewhere like Europe to somewhere like Australia, where you say, OK, abundance of, of land resource, abundance of sunshine there the hydrogen market looks a little bit different, but maybe it's more about the export opportunity. And that's quite interesting. So I think what you'll see is these sort of ebbs and flows and movements taking place in different geographies for different reasons. And that will also affect you know, some of the opportunities that we see um, and, and are certainly looking at. As maybe a, a little bit of a follow-on, um, that's, an, that's an interesting point and, and around the, the deployment potential and profiles in different regions and with different resources. I just, I just wondered, perhaps, and, and you know, when you're thinking about that, how do you see those kind of, uh, you know, deployments kind of by technology or sectoral use cases kind of, kind of rolling out, right? Because I'm thinking of many of the reports that we see, you know, and they put, you know, heavy duty trucking at the front, and then they eventually get to the heavy industrial use cases. Whereas in other reports, you'll see the heavy duty trucking right at the back, right? So how, do you guys have a view of how the, the rollout of different regional markets work? Or do you, do you think about that approach when you're looking at the companies? Or is it, is it uh, very much go for the technology and, and work it out kind of afterwards? Yeah, I think it's, it's go for the technology, but it's all about the, um, you know, the multitude of applications that each technology has. So we, we talk internally about a one-to-many strategy. So where a particular technology can have multiple end applications. So, okay, if I can you know, build an, an, a fuel cell that may be um, 
you know, have a better power density, you know, these are the three different applications that could be used in. And then you could tick off um, mobility, aviation, et cetera. So, you know, what we're looking at, and we think very much holistically across the entire hydrogen value chain um, and that whole system, and then think about, okay, what is it, what is the technology you'll need and where can you invest where it's somewhat, you know, bankable because you know there's three different applications. So whether it comes first or third, you, you're going to be somewhat you know, ambivalent. Um, so that's, that's one, of our, one of our strategies. And then the other one is just thinking very carefully about where we make an investment and where the near-term uh, commercial opportunities are. And that may be in a, in a particular geography where um, that company would look to build out. That, that's also important. So where we think there's going to be the right um, you know, legislative support, uh, right business support, um, that, that would be then the beachhead for, for that type of technology. So that's another another approach we use when we think about our, our, our investments. Yeah, and I suppose I suppose thinking then about the kind of the investment environment right now, and 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 I suppose the last year, maybe two years. You know, how has that been? I suppose how has it uh, changed versus the the early years of kind of engaging in the space? To, to are we seeing trends that are, are driving into the future and, and what, what are you kind of seeing in that change in the investment community and, and the environment around hydrogen? Oh, Patrick, that's a really interesting question. And I can tell you, you know, one thing for sure, that in 2013, um, I was not uh, getting invited to do podcasts on hydrogen. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's very clearly a, a fundamental shift um, and, a, and a joyous one because um, I've got... Uh, these images scarred in my mind where I was sitting in California or standing in California talking about hydrogen. And this is going back to 2014. And, and frankly, you know, all those in the room were, were probably on their, on their mobile phones and certainly not, not listening to what I had to say. So there's been a, a fundamental shift you know, and, and that's understandable. People had been burnt before. There have been previous hypes um, in hydrogen. And I think it's very clearly, um, you know, some investors felt that they'd, they'd participated previously and wanted to sit out and, and wait and see um, you know, Michelle mentioned earlier the, the shift from um, you know, mobility only to, to you know, a broader set of industrial applications. I think that's, I would say, is, is a key difference to where we were two years ago and certainly to where we were you know, five, six years ago. Um, a much more um, broader way of thinking about hydrogen and its, and its very many applications. Uh, that, that is exciting. You know, if, if net zero is the goal, then hydrogen is going to play a role. And if you go back to you know, the COPs that took place in, in Copenhagen, there was still a debate of, you know, is climate change real? By the time we got to Paris, um, you know, we were, we were starting to get set to the point where we could set meaningful targets and the like. But it's actually taken a bit longer to, to then build that into traction around some of these new technologies and new energy. But I'm confident that we're sitting now here in you know, April 2021, um, really at a, at, at a precipice. This is a once-in-a-generation shift, I think, in, in energy. And uh, I think in societal expectations. So in my mind, the, the debate is, has changed from one of, you know, is climate change real to, okay, it is real. So now no, what are the impacts and what are we going to do and, and, and how do we act and how do we change both as businesses, as governments um, and the like. So that's, that's certainly uh, a meaningful change. And that's only been accelerated during the pandemic. So the pandemic's been good for hydrogen. And I say that um, I'm very aware of, of how tough it's been on other sectors. Um, so, so I certainly sympathize with those sectors. But for hydrogen, the, the, the concept of building back better has been a very powerful one in recognizing that hydrogen will play, will play a role, um, particularly in those hard-to-abate sectors and, and the fact that, you know, fr frankly, hydrogen is not a, not a cure-all, but it is um, a really talented little molecule that can play a, quite a meaningful role in various, uh, very many applications. 
And I think you, you can look at companies thinking about not only using hydrogen to decarbonize um, their own operations, but perhaps it's also part of a green offering. So, so there's, a, there's a customer proposition. So, you, you know, you can think about a steel plant um, reducing their CO2 emissions, which is clearly could, could be part of their agenda um, to, to, to go towards net, net zero. But also they'd be offering a, a green steel, which their customers will start demanding. And I think there's, there's two dimensions to the use of hydrogen by, by a company that I think are quite compelling and, and, and I think causing you know, many companies to think about how they can use it. And we're seeing, you know, I would characterize as a, as a clamor from the large you know, oil companies to, 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 to pivot and transition. And that's certainly going to be very supportive. We spoke earlier on about strategic versus financial VCs. And I think the, the strategic VCs backed by the large corporates have got a very big role to play here as we see those companies transition and certainly be at the front end of that transition um, in, in hydrogen. So it's been a really positive 12 to 24 months. The road is not going to be smooth. I think it's, there's, there's little hype cycles that will develop here and there. Um, I think there will be some ebbs and flows. But in my mind, you know, what's now cemented is that hydrogen has a, a much rosier and, and um, bigger future than, than the one people were contemplating you know, just 24 months ago. And it's very exciting for us where we position. But I think you know, also our whole team is, is very excited about what that means for you know, hopefully um, you know, leaving the planet a little bit better than we found it. So there's a strong sort of purpose-driven approach to, to certainly our team and, and our desire to try and make a difference, which um, you know, is also quite, quite, quite motivating and exciting to see. And, and, you know, I think the, the danger always in these conversations, especially when we're talking to people who have this kind of international exposure in a business space, as long as, as, as you have, you have an MSHELS, is that we can ask endless questions because there's so many areas that you can take this and move to. I mean, a, a question maybe, Michelle, would be interesting just to get your perspective on this one because you were talking about some of the portfolio companies earlier. So I just kind of wanted to actually, you know, pick up on Kevin's theme of the international discussion. You know, COVID in some senses has been great insofar as, and I, I hesitate using that word, but you know, it has been a very busy time and it's been a good time to raise money for companies in the space. But it's actually been pretty difficult for companies trying to manufacture things and get projects up and running in some senses. And I think it's also been quite difficult for people thinking about supply chain. Because I think you know, suddenly you know, in, in Europe with the COVID vaccinations, that's affected a lot of calculations from countries like the UK about supply chain. There was recently just a debate in Parliament in the UK about strategic minerals and metals, which is almost certainly prompted by supply chain concerns, which is saying, you know, how much do we want to manufacture abroad versus domestic? So, so how, do, how do you and how do AP Ventures help, you know, or, or what kind of conversations are you having with your portfolio companies at the moment who may have very large multinational supply chains are very much plugged into this macro trend, which is hydrogen, but are based somewhere, the team is based somewhere, the initial projects are based somewhere, and Clearly, it's been a very unique and disruptive time. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's an, it's an excellent question. Actually, there's an added layer of complexity to this as well, which is that for a lot of our companies, they're not ordering something off the shelf. They're ordering something that is quite bespoke as well. So that adds, adds an extra layer um, that they need to manage as well through the last, um, you know, 12 to 18 months. And, and you're absolutely right. The supply chain has been challenging. Um, for the most part, given that most of our companies, so speaking about our portfolio, we are dealing with, you know, earlier stage companies that um, for, for many of them, they are pre-profit um, and they are in the process of scaling up. So they don't currently have huge volumes of production. So if I speak from the specific challenges that they're facing, it is around actually being able to get out to site to install um, the, the um, into the into the projects 
being able to um, monitor those. They're obviously having to do a lot more of their monitoring remotely as well. Um, all presented a lot of challenges for us um, companies. And then, like I, I mentioned as well previously, um, for a lot of these companies as well, they're ordering um, very, very bespoke parts. Um, now, it's not to say that um, they're going to be limited in terms of who they can order those from, but it does mean that, you know, as well as managing the complexities of how long it might take them to source, they're also having to manage, you know, um, does it conform to the standards that we need it to conform to? And the sort of the backwards and forwards there is a challenge that they're also having to, to monitor and to manage as this new supply chain develops um, to supply them and, and the emerging um, hydrogen economy. And, and maybe just sort of apologies picking up a little bit through and Andrew Patrick, just sort of jump across and equally, Kevin, if you want to jump in, please do. Uh, one thing that always strikes me is venture is always about scalability. It comes back again and again and again as a theme. How do we make this scalable? Um, if you're having, you know, different standards around hydrogen, different standards around fuel cells, different standards around tanks, your supply chain is becoming more and more fragmented because countries expect or want to see for various strategic reasons, manufacturing in different places. How does that actually impact your ability as a venture firm to see scalability and how do you mitigate that when you're thinking about these investments and when you're advising your portfolio? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can kick off and I'm sure Kevin will add to this as well. So for us, there's a couple of things that are absolutely critical. One of it is a really, really supportive ecosystem and the network around a portfolio company. So, And that's one of the things that as a, a venture capital fund, we believe we provide to our portfolio companies is this ecosystem of partners for them as they develop their projects and as they look to scale up, these are partners that might be able to support with the actual development of the project or support via offtake or financing or in a, a number of different ways. Um, so we would be looking to, obviously, you know, our, our limited partners um, also have an interest in this space. There may be opportunities for them. But there's also others in our network that are able to support the portfolio companies as well. Um, as, as they head towards growth, it's going to be um, more and more important that um, the investor base around them is able to support them with that. So they may be looking for specific kinds of investors as they scale that are going to be offtake partners or EPCs or helping them along the road to developing and scaling their, their technologies. Yeah, I'll just add to that. I think uh, worth you know, reminding ourselves that the hydrogen you know, economy as it is today is already quite significant. So there already are you know, a number of rules and standards. Um, it is a sizable, it's a sizable business today. Yes, it's predominantly used in the you know, oil and gas um, industry. Yes, you know, most production comes from SMR, but um, that does mean that the, you know, we have handled and worked with this molecule for some time. So I think that's maybe one point to note. Um, it is quite fragmented. We have different rules in China and Europe and the United States. Um, and that is complex to navigate uh, as a small company. We, we have seen that time and again. You know, getting new technology into these new markets is, is challenging. You've got a, a host of, of local regulations to work around. You know, Michelle mentioned the importance of local partners in that process, and I uh, you know, absolutely reiterate that, very important. Um, and the other piece is moving quickly. So we're encouraging our portfolio companies to move as fast as they can to become the de facto standard as, as they are developing and pioneering new technology. It's very important that they you know, race to market and, and develop that. And we've seen that you know, across the board, um, you know, some companies are very well known to all of us, how they've created a market and created a standard. So we are very much looking for our portfolio companies and the most successful ones in that portfolio, you know, will ultimately shape and create new standards and, um, and methods of operating around safety and, um, and, and also just, just a universal, universal rules and, um, and, and standards. I think that's very important. 
And I think uh, I'm going to jump in with one last question, maybe build off of that in sort of the broader sense. I mean, the, the hydrogen market in general has been moving very quickly. And I think to a degree, surprisingly, are there any sectors, sectoral applications, you know, for example, uh, aviation, in my opinion, has been sort of a surprisingly fat, quickly developing sector when it comes to hydrogen applications, right? I wonder if you guys have had uh, any that have surprised you in the past couple of years, or al alternatively, as an investor in this space, maybe you guys saw every single one of these things coming, but <laughs> I wonder if you could uh, point to a few. Yeah, I'll dive in and Michelle, feel free to add anything. No, look, I think you touched on probably, you know, one of the most interesting areas, with this, which is aviation. Uh, certainly, you know, our, our view two, three years ago was, sure, it's interesting, but it's a long time coming. Um, and slowly and surely, you've seen, you know, more and more announcements in the space. You see some early movers. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really encouraged to see that, frankly. So, you know, yes, we 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 didn't get out in front of that, but we do still we do still um, have a strong interest in that, um, and I think it's very positive to see you know that ambition. Um, it still does feel like a long time away, and I think when when we think about hydrogen, you know, I have to divorce in my own mind what I'm curious and what I'm excited about versus what can make my um, investors money in the life of of the fund, and those are obviously two distinct distinct points, right? Um, we have to be practical about it. You know, we like everything hydrogen, but at some point in time, we have to say, okay, what, what can we invest in to generate a return over the next five, seven years? Um, so there's an element of that in all of our thinking. Um, certainly the aviation space is probably the one that jumps out uh, when, when you think about, um, you know, when you think about something un unforeseen perhaps two years ago. I don't know, Michelle, anything else jump out at yeah, you? Yeah, I'd probably add to that ammonia. Um, and we probably, we jokingly refer to ammonia as the new hydrogen uh, because, you know, um, up until probably even six months ago, nobody really thought about ammonia. Um, and, um, and certainly sort of the, the application, the breadth of the application certainly um, wasn't being spoken about. So for us, I think it's been surprising to see just how quickly um, there's been a take up of green ammonia, um, of, of the interest in, in green ammonia. Ammonia as a, as a fuel, um, as a hydrogen carrier, as an energy source itself. Um, and so, you know, obviously that's being driven um, by some regions um, specifically, and they need to decarbonize with fairly aggressive, de um, you know, net zero targets being set. But it's also being driven by specific industries as well. So the maritime industry as well being a, a key driver of that particular industry. So I think I'd definitely add ammonia to maybe one of the, um, you know, the, uh, the black swans that we didn't necessarily see coming. I think, and I think where, where, where we did see something coming, and I'm pleased to see you know, maybe the market catching up and, and agreeing with us, is that you know, hydrogen is all about its flexibility. So um, when you think of a world of, of limited electrons, you know, then, then it's all about efficiency. But when you, when you have scale and you have space and you have, at some point, an unlimited number of, of cheap green electrons through cheaper and cheaper PV and, and wind installations, you can start to think a lot more creatively about what you can do with the hydrogen and the fact that hydrogen is actually, because it can, you can store it effectively and it's flexible in terms of its form factor, it gives you a wonderful arbitrage opportunity in terms of how you handle energy. So I think what you're seeing now, if I look over the last six to 12 months, is a recognition that hydrogen can play that role because you can oversize your solar installation and you can think about keeping you know, some of that excess uh, energy stored in the form of hydrogen uh, via green uh, electrolysis. And that's, that, that, that's, that's really interesting. And it certainly meets with our worldview that hydrogen is the, the ultimate flexible fuel um, and energy carrier of the future. 
Um, and I'm excited to see that development. If I go back five, six, seven years, it was all about efficiency. Everyone was criticizing hydrogen because of the inefficient cycle, particularly when you introduce a, a fuel cell and you're generating electrons again. Yes, it, could, it can be inefficient, but if you're in an application where you're not constrained by space and you've got a lot of very cheap electrons to play with, well, then suddenly all these applications become quite interesting. You couple that with you know, mandates where you'd expect to see a minimum amount of say, sustainable aviation fuel or, or similar, and then suddenly in a very interesting world where you know, you've got the sort of push and pull dynamic taking place at the same time. Excellent. Well, I think, guys, you have been overly generous with your time, and we really appreciate you guys uh, you guys joining us. It's very kind of you. I think it was a really interesting conversation. I assume, Chris and Patrick, uh, Chris, you are done with your questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I mean, I could always ask, but it's just no, best to stop. Otherwise, I just keep going. This episode is brought to you by Biotech On-Site Hydrogen. We all know the transportation sector is facing increased pressure to transition to zero emission solutions. And uh, to borrow a phrase from our dear friend Patrick Malloy, this is the thing. Hydrogen provides a clear pathway to decarbonization. Biotech offers its customers turnkey solutions for hydrogen supply that enable vehicle manufacturers, transit agencies, fleet operators, and logistics organizations worldwide to adapt to climate regulations and produce hydrogen for fuel cell electric vehicles at prices that compete directly with diesel. To learn more about how Biotech can help you produce low-cost, low- or zero-carbon hydrogen, visit biotech.us today. All right, guys. Pretty interesting conversation with Kevin and Michelle. Wide ranging. Let's, um, oh, I don't know. I'm going to just choose randomly. Chris Jackson, why don't we start with you? Uh, big picture, big reactions, big takeaways. What's, what's the deal? What'd you think? I think what I enjoyed was probably the bit that you could tell I was pushing on more at the end, which is this bigger question about scalability, about supply chain, how all of those pieces are coming together. I do think that's going to be really interesting. There was a piece the other day about how you know, in the early days of venture um, with solar and wind, all of these businesses in San Francisco lost their shirt because, you know, they came up with these great companies, great technologies. They were right. They could see the future. They could see the market. They could see everything. What they didn't see is that basically China would just come in and subsidize domestic businesses and just wiped out all of these venture company opportunities because the supply chain could move because it was a globalized market and it did. Um, and so they all lost their shirts, even though they got everything right. They got the sector right, the technology right, everything. Um, I'm not sure that this story will be the same this time around. It might be, but I'm not sure it will be. Um, and for a venture player that has a certain amount of strategic interest, I mean, you know, his LPs are, you know, they mentioned South African Public Pension Fund, one's obviously Anglo-American. You know, these do have strategic interests. They, are, they do have strategic partners. It'd be very interesting to me to see how some of that plays out, you know, especially if, you know, it doesn't seem to me that Biden is any less of a kind of, in some senses, America first maybe is a tainted word, but certainly quite, I want to boost American manufacturing. I know a lot of the European Union strategy is all about building manufacturing capabilities. So, you know, does that make it harder for companies to scale? So, you know, potentially you lose some of that upside, but equally there's less risk of we develop it in Europe and someone like AP backs a great company like Hydrogenius or Hyatt or Sun or Starfire. And then someone else takes that and develops it somewhere else much cheaper. Maybe maybe there's less, so, you know, less potential upside, but less overall risk. I don't know. I, I think that's a really interesting area. And it was good to just get their view on it. I'd nearly think of it the other way as well, is that we're going to now have a whole heap of uh, folks working in the emerging technology space with, with 
access to to capital, which, as you rightly flagged, twelve years ago there was there was a couple of central hubs, right? But we're talking about a much broader set of technologies and and a lot more, I suppose, complex supply chains as 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 was spoken to, right? But it is look at the end of the day here, you know, as we as we talk about this, you know, we we constantly uh, get to the point of, you know, the the investment constraints, the you know the production technology, then moving to market is a challenge, and then the end use cases, right? But it was very interesting that one of the concentrations or focus points will be in this middle market, right? This transition and storage or transportation and storage effort, and to talk about whether you use ammonia or or LOHCs, but that we are building out that flexibility in system and the capacity to to repurpose that infrastructure. That's a really, really strategically critical point for this sector to actually scale and to hit those points. And also as as you rightly flagged, Chris, to be sufficiently competitive, you know, where whether they be, you know, concentrated in one geography or another. Uh, accessing the market is 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 a major hurdle right now, and it's challenging. Um, and it's really really quite encouraging to hear that the, there are funds out there that are engaging in that space and looking to push on on what is a is a problematic and challenging question in that scaling question. So um, positives and, and, in there for sure. And our listeners are starting to talk about this. I mean, you know, I called Adrian Vandersby, who was you know saying you know given how much everyone. Talks about platinum, is that a problem for scalability? You know, these other rare earths and the whole mining sector and what all of that looks like. I mean, and, and of course, it's actually worth mentioning. And I was wondering whether Kevin and Co were going to flag this at the beginning, but you know, the part of the, the heritage of AP Ventures is that its job was to create a market for platinum, right? Was saying, well, catalysts are dead. So, you know, if, if you're not going to use platinum for catalysts and turn off questions, where are you going to go after that? And, you know, that was part of why they were pushing hydrogen. So, you know, and, and that has a strategic dimension for Europe and the US as well, which is that platinum is predominantly produced in South Africa, you know, a bit of Russia, but it is predominantly South African as opposed to many other areas which are predominantly in China. You know, so, so yeah, it, the listeners are picking up on this as much as the others are. So, I don't know, what, Andrew, what do you make of all of that conversation? What was your kind of takeaway? I guess I was actually very interested to, you know, if you couldn't tell, trying to fit that last question in there to see if there were any particular sectoral applications that they were surprised to see accelerate. Uh, I may have uh, caused them, it may have been a loaded question by naming aviation since I was thinking... <laughs> That's the one I would say, but no, I thought that was I thought that was particularly interesting to kind of hear them single out aviation and maritime, which I, just, I don't know. I would be curious to get your guys' thoughts on maritime, particularly no offense, Chris, but particularly Patrick, since I know he's done a lot of work in that space. I think it's true that it has progressed quicker than I would have predicted in terms of people being, you know, different investors, different companies, people being interested in the maritime space as, a, as, an, uh, as an end use for, for hydrogen and ammonia. But I guess that's all relative. That's a relative uh, timeline, right? Nothing moves fast in the maritime industry. And so I suppose it's moved faster than expected, <laughs> but that's still not that fast. I don't know. What do you what did you what do you I, think about that? Uh, number number one, Chris Chris Jackson is a proud leisure uh, sailor and and as such his insights into the maritime industry are are, are more adept and deployed that, things. Because I can't sail, so I'll just drown <laughs> when someone invites me on a boat. <laughs> I, I suppose just look to, to seek to the maritime uh, space in general, and and, and uh, kind of briefly, you know these these are these are assets that you know last 25, 30 years, right? And 
when you have long life of asset transition um, points, inflection points in market the deployed technologies um, are reflective of when those vessels come up for a replacement or retrofit. And also, I suppose the other side of this is, is we're talking about fueling infrastructure and shipping. You're not talking about a single point. You're not talking about an airport to an airport. You're talking about a series of ports. So you're talking about the onshore ashore uh, technologies in multiple locations along the major routes. Now, obviously, if you're going trans-Pacific, China to, to, to the US, or you're going, you know, single, you know, large, just seaborne kind of noble port uh, locations, yes, absolutely. But at the end of the day, you're trying to, to manage across multiple marketplaces. You're trying to manage across multiple different types of asset. And also, simply put, we're getting the technology. The first um, ammonia fuel cell vessel will launch, Viking Energies one in 2024. There's efforts by Man Group and, and others and in various cohorts. And even, even now, folks using methanol as, a, as an intermediate step, right? So shipping is not a, a stagnant space or a stagnant market in this space. It's just that it is a very long duration kind of life of asset business. And it is something where folks are going to be very, very, very particular and careful because of the complexity of the supply chains that they are supporting. You know, ship, shipping is, is central for, for essentially how we all live today, whether we know it or not. And, the, you know, look what happens when a, a, when a large vessel gets stuck in the Suez for a few days, right? Billions of dollars are just burned. So, you know, there's, there's relative kind of um, sensitivity to the need for change. The IMO standard looking at a 50% production in, in CO2 or sorry, GHGs by, by 2050, solid work in deploying technologies, the low sulfur emission standards that have come through. Shipping is innovative um, and uh, we can push it pretty fast and pretty far in the next 10 years. It's going to be cool. And on that note, Chris, I didn't get to answer your SPAC question, uh, jumped ahead there. So we will uh, we'll come back to that next time around. Also, I'd point out to listeners that the Wilhelmsen Group will be sending uh, one of their engineers onto the podcast in a few weeks to uh, tell us how we are wrong, but presumably mostly right about maritime stuff, right? And that does it for us today at Everything About Hydrogen. A big thank you to Kevin Eggers and Michelle Robson of AP Ventures for joining us on the show today and telling us what it's like to be one of the world's leading investors in the hydrogen sector. Thank you, as always, to Patrick and Chris for their masterful co-hosting abilities and hard work on the show. And as you know, we love to hear from our listeners here at Everything About Hydrogen. If you have any questions for us or our guests and would like to get in touch, please send us an email at info at h2podcast.com or find us on Twitter at, at About Hydrogen. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Till then, all the best from the team here at Everything About Hydrogen.